0: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, everyone. Uh, Jeremy here from Sick Boy Podcast of the E1 Podcast Network. And uh, holy geez, holy moly. Gee whiz, gee golly gee. I feel like I haven't spoken to y'all. In a long, long arse time, uh, but the reason I feel that way is because I haven't sat in front of a mic for like a few weeks. You guys don't feel that way because every Monday we just pop up on your Apple Podcasts or on your Spotify or where else, wherever else you get your podcasts. But uh, for me and and Brian and Taylor, uh, we've been we've been apart for a little while. Uh, I've been home from from South by Southwest in Austin for a little while now. Uh, Brian's been in Florida working his little his sweet little buns off, coaching some young young uh, Olympic prospects in the paddling world. Taylor was off to Morocco, uh, uh, teaching a bunch of people yoga and rescuing puppies. And uh, soon, not quite yet, but soon, we will be together again. And actually, when we all come together again, uh, it will be around the date of April 9th, which is the date of our next live show here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. We have a sold-out show at Good Robot Brewing Company. Uh, if you didn't get tickets, uh, keep your eyes peeled. We're going to be live-streaming that show just like we did with our last show here in Halifax. Um, but what's happening for that show is we are, we're raising money for a shelter here in Halifax called Out of the Cold – and we've actually uh, this is the second time we've done this with good robot but we've we've brewed a beer in collaboration with the the beautiful folks over at good robot brewing company and this year uh we brewed a beer it's a it is a english pale ale called into the warmth and we're raising money for out of the cold the shelter so that's the name of the beer if you are in halifax or you're you're traveling to halifax if you're going to be here in the next I'd say month or so it'll probably still be on taps there. You can pop into good robot 10% of all of the proceeds uh, of all the beer of, of into the warmth purchase goes back to out of the cold. So um, uh, stop by your, your local good robot brewing company, have a, have a pint and enjoy it and know that you're giving back to the community. Uh, What else is on the go? We've got, uh, there's something else I was supposed to talk about, but it's completely fucking slipped my mind right now. Um, And I don't remember. Oh, yes. The sick wish. We're going to be letting the sick wish recipient know that they are receiving their wish in the next few days. We've put together a little committee. Uh, we've removed ourselves from the selection process. So there's no biases. There's no, uh, you know, this is not an inside job. Me, Taylor, and Brian have nothing to do with actually selecting who's going to take the wish. We've put together a team of people that we we feel we we value their input. We trust their opinions. And we've put them together to, to decide the lucky uh, recipient. And we're going to announce it to the winner um, sometime this week. And my, my fingers crossed, you know, I don't, these things are all new to me and, and the guys, but fingers crossed we're going to announce the winner uh, this coming Monday. So the Monday after today. Um, and uh, and we're going to let you know who's the recipient and we're going to let you know what the wish is and by golly, it's going to be a really exciting time. Uh, I feel like I've talked too much. Uh, we are now, I'm going to throw it to the episode. This is, this is me kicking off our conversations that we had in beautiful uh, downtown Toronto, Ontario. We we had a little batch of episodes. We met a bunch of lovely people. And this is the first one with our new friend, Mark Hennick. And let me tell you, Mark is, uh, if you're not familiar with him, you're going to get to know him. He's a very special, uh, very special person. This conversation was amazing he has lots to say and lots to contribute in the world of mental health advocacy. He has uh, the most watched TEDx Toronto Talk.
1: <coughs>
0: Fuck. God
3: damn it. I think I'm allergic to his TEDx Toronto Talk because it's doing. Much better than mine did <clears throat> I should probably edit that cough out But I also don't want you all to know How my lungs are doing <clears throat> Clearly they're doing great uh, Mark Hennick, lovely guy We fucking fell in love with him We, we know you will too And uh, that's enough for me We'll see you all on the other side Welcome to Sick Boy A podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick This week's guest is Mark Hennick He's a mental health advocate and lives with major depressive disorder. Let's talk about it. Yeah, we yeah. Were of, uh, yeah, we're in Toronto. We do this to ourselves every time we come to the city. We land, we like get a bit of work done. We're feeling productive, and we're like, "Hey, let's go." hang out with some pals that we haven't seen in a few months and we go out and like, it's sitting in the back of my mind that like, we're going to go out, have a couple of drinks, have a nice, only a gentle time and then go to bed and wake up the next day feeling refreshed and ready for more work. (laughs) And every goddamn time we wake up, Feeling like we, or we just don't go to sleep. Yeah, went to like prom the night before, and just like, and completely just a mess.
2: Uh, Yeah, like went to bed, boys woke up as men. Yeah,
3: yeah, 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 exactly. Just like prom, crossed over that that line.
0: Um, I was trying to, and when you said like uh, feeling like we were at prom the night before, I'm like trying to reflect on what that feels like. Like what what does that mean exactly?
2: Like you just you'd like to Well, I think Yeah, what does that mean? I
0: think like it was a magical evening yeah. full of like corsages. Cool. Yes. But what
3: I was going for there was like uh, the way I partied in high school chaperones is not the
0: way that I should
3: be partying as the adult that I am today. Uh I don't think my body is ready and and or okay with that. You know what I'm talking about? Like I think I feel you. Yeah. It's like if I did what I did last night when I was in my last day of high school, I would have woke up the next day and been like, all right, here we go. Off to the next adventure. Yeah. And, and today a, I wake and up and I'm like, oh my God, is this it? Is this the last day? <laughs> what happened? So
2: we're in Toronto and we're sitting here with? Mark Hennick. Mark Hennick. And we're going to talk about uh, what are we what are we talking about today, Mark? I don't know. What do you want to talk about?
3: I mean, I think we can dive into a, a whole plethora of different things. Um, for let's say this right off the bat: for anyone who's not familiar with Mark um, and what what he does, well, why don't you explain to everyone? what you do on a day-to-day
1: basis. I ask myself that same question on a day-to-day basis. No, so I, I call myself a mental health advocate, a mental health strategist. Um, basically what that means is that I get to people to talk about mental health. Uh, I ask them hard questions and I share my own stories, my own struggles mm-hmm. from my adolescence especially. But, mm-hmm. you know, you struggle as a kid. I think everybody struggles as a kid. Not everybody struggles with mental illness though. And mm-hmm, that's right. a lot of what I talk about. My depression, anxiety, suicide attempts, stuff that makes people people uncomfortable
3: Mm -hmm. yeah and okay so speaking of making people feel uncomfortable um you have a ted talk uh tedx toronto talk that you did what was it like a few years ago now yeah
1: 2013
3: and uh it is uh kind of pumping your tires here it's the most (laughs) viewed tedx toronto talk of all time Mm -hmm. something crazy like four over four million yeah yeah
1: i think it's approaching five million if
3: no if you if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it yet take a moment uh, maybe even just hit pause on this recording right now, go over and, and spend some time and watch it it is a it 's an intense story i mm. mean you 're a storyteller in that that talk you 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 paint a very visual picture mm. about your suicide attempt yeah. Um, yeah about what seems like two. Suicide attempts.
1: Yeah, I tell two stories in there. Actually, there were um, more than that. There are seven hospitalizations total. But when I was doing Holy the, shit. yeah, when I was doing the talk, <coughs> um, I didn't know that. I had blocked a lot of it out. So really, what I was able to dig out were those two stories. Uh, and it's only recently, as in within the last couple of months, as I've been writing more, I just finished writing a book uh, that I was able to get more details about everything else that happened. So it was incredible that that was actually the very start. That wasn't the Mm. pinnacle of my career Mm. or anything like that. That was just the beginning. So do you mean like
3: it was erased from your memory? Like you sort of couldn't,
1: yeah. Really? Yeah, and actually still to this day, I can have it's strange especially these these traumatic memories where i can sense the color and the and the taste and the temperature of everything around me uh, but then it's wow. just gone it drops mm-hmm. it's like a swimmer who just kind of dips under the water every now and then
2: did you guess, uh, did you like have you did you have to do work with like a therapist or like mm-hmm. reflection meditation what like to get to to find those, Ooh, yeah. that part of your memory again?
1: Yeah, you know, I've, I've tried it all. The method of therapy that works uh, the best for me is that kind of depth yeah. analysis to really go into my childhood stuff. I, I like to pay attention to my dreams and see what that might be telling me. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it means anything, I don't know. But if it triggers a memory of some kind... Yeah. Um, then that's been helpful for me. But actually, I just went away for uh, a month where I went into a silent retreat in the woods. That, oh, wow. that explains the beard. You can't see that on the podcast, mm-hmm. of course. But Yeah, you're, you're, you're like the most baby-faced person I've ever seen in my
3: life in the TED Talk. And when you showed up here today, I was like, Jesus Christ, you're yeah, a, I'm in disguise woodsman. now, yeah. yeah. This,
1: this is my woods-slash-depression beard. But, um, was it a Vipassana retreat? or just
2: No, silent... no, it
1: was at a Trappist monastery uh, in rural New Brunswick. They're an order of... Uh, monks that self-sustain and, and things mm-hmm. like that. but I went there to write and to uh, have the silence and it was only in that context that I really started to be able to unlock some of those memories. Sweet. You yeah. know, that,
0: and I find that really interesting to hear because when I watched your TED Talk uh, there's these like such v- visually descriptive words mm-hmm. and language used around uh, the suicide attempt that really paints a picture of it. So it's mm-hmm. interesting to hear now that you're almost kind of just now again finding those details in mm-hmm. the, in the I'm guessing, the other attempts as yeah. well? Yeah,
1: well, and actually one thing that I found out um, was that there, there was a mistake in the TED Talk. Uh, in the TED Talk, I say that my first attempt uh, was when I was 15 or something like that, I think. Uh, and that was actually one of my last attempts. I, my first attempts were, my first attempt, my first hospitalization was when I was 12. So it was between the ages of 12 and 15, 16 that uh, all this was happening for me.
0: That's that's really interesting as well because I I feel like I when i hear about a uh, attempted suicide i uh, usually think of somebody being ol- older yeah. and maybe more yeah. like in your late teens and early 20s but Ooh. to hear like that your first uh, hospitalization was when you were 12 years old what was that like like what was that yeah. experience what happened during that experience
1: well i was the youngest on the unit by Thirty years, probably, <laughs> because you're right. Uh-huh. I mean, um, it tends to be middle-aged men uh, who die by suicide the most, uh, followed by teenage, late teenage boys usually. So I was on the younger end for that, uh, but it's not at all uncommon. Actually, even kids younger than that experience uh, thoughts of suicide and even tragically die by suicide. So when I went on to the unit, we didn't have child and adolescent mental health. I grew up in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, actually, so Nova Scotia as well. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so in Sydney, uh, we didn't have. Uh, uh, child psychiatry. Um, So I was always the youngest and that was always difficult because I felt like people didn't really get it. They Mm -hmm. thought maybe it was just an adolescent uh, attention-seeking kind of Mm. thing and I never really got the help that I needed. Actually, part of the book, I um, pulled all of my medical records from this time. So if you ever want to know what somebody thinks about you, read what your therapist writes about you. Um, That's really interesting, actually. (laughs) Is it hard to get
3: that stuff? uh,
1: No, that part wasn't, but I also pulled all my police records and I originally put that request in four years ago. Uh, and I just two days ago, uh, got oh, wow. the, got the documents. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That's a process. So that was a, well, they fought the freedom of information act request, but on, on baseless uh, grounds. So that's mm-hmm. just how long it took. Well, let's take it back then. Yeah. Uh, like I, I didn't, I had no idea that it, that it spanned this far
3: back in, mm-hmm. in your life. How, how far back do you recall, uh,
1: dealing with with issues with your mental health. Mm. You know, I didn't have words for it for a long time. So it's always hard to um identify that because you don't know what to call it. Is it, <laughs> is it is it sadness? Is it just struggle? Is it difficulty? I don't know because your own trauma, your own struggle becomes your norm. You don't realize that it's not supposed to be that way mm-hmm. until you start seeing other things. So for me, you know, I remember pretty clearly struggling in in elementary school, um, early elementary school, so probably uh, third, second, third grade uh, that I can remember Mm. feeling like I just couldn't get through things. Was that,
0: and and how was that manifesting? Was that like just like an internalized feeling or was that like, you know... Not taking part in activities with other kids, yeah, both for sure. And and for
1: me, what it and I can only see this now. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, I guess. But um, what I started to do was deal with things internally because I didn't have a support around me. So anytime I was struggling with something, I would get negative reinforcement on the outside. You know, suck it up, be a man. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even though I was a you know a, a ten eight yeah. ten be year a old kid, small right? boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so every time I tried to reach out. for Help in whatever way I thought I could, it was shut down. And I actually, this is classical conditioning in psychology. If you get mm-hmm. a negative response for doing something, you're less likely to do it again in the mm-hmm. future. So instead, I started internalizing, thinking more about it. That's when I started to become more of an introvert. Uh, and I still identify as an introvert, even though I do lots of speaking and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that now. Um, So I I think that as that started to happen, I just developed this world within myself. And that's when I started to dream more. That's why I got interested in dreaming. Um, And when I started to uh, not express myself uh, really to an unhealthy degree. Like you,
0: you uh, like actively kind of realized that you were dreaming more at that point? Yeah.
1: So this was one of the cool things about the book too, is that, um, I have, I can remember dreams from, you know, five, six years old that really stood out for me. And one of them in particular, um, after my parents broke up, I was four when my parents divorced and then we moved into a new, uh, family a new house mm-hmm. where we were always uh, reminded that we were the second family uh, you know it, it, the the shine wore off it pretty quickly right um,
2: you mean and, like you like there was a new relationship in you with your with one
1: of your parents and, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah we lived with my mother and and she started dating somebody else and then all of a sudden we moved in with them uh, and that relationship turned abusive uh, pretty quickly uh, but then we ended up feeling trapped there uh, mm. and I remember this dream that I had uh, where I was and, and I say it in the promo for the TED talk I was on uh, the school bus leaving that house. It was out in the middle of the woods. A lot of places in Cape Breton are out in the middle of the woods. But um, (laughs) where we lived, it was at the end of a dead end dirt road uh, with uh, no neighbors on three of the four sides and a farm on one side. Uh, And I got on the school bus and it would bring me to the end of the road, circle around and bring me back again. And then it would just keep doing that. It wouldn't get off of that dead end dirt road. Uh, and then I started to panic and started to realize that I'm trapped here. I can't, I'll mm-hmm. never get out of this mm-hmm. place. Uh, and I noticed there was this demon or goblin or devil or something sitting in front of me on the bus. And uh, he turned around and he said to me, you are not the Christ. And then I woke up. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> and yeah. I, I remember that, that could so be in vividly. a horror film, I think. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And yeah. It, yeah. And for me, I mean... The way that I interpret dreams now, it's whatever it means to you, right? It it doesn't matter what it objectively means, but if anything. Uh, But for me, it was this sense of not having any control, of not being able to save myself or save my mother, who I thought was struggling at that time in that abusive relationship too. Mm. Those dreams that you
3: tend to remember from your your childhood, are they all negative or scary or or like sort of this feeling of trapped? Or do you remember dreams from that long ago that actually are quite like positive and vivid. And
1: yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say positive, but definitely in a different, um, vein, there was another one where, uh, and I was writing about this recently too, uh, I found a, a spring of water coming from the ground and there was this girl who directed me to it, uh, to drink from the ground to try and sustain myself because there was no water anywhere else. And it was just this one spring. But then when I went to drink from it, it kind of <laughs> petered away and, and I couldn't find it anymore. After right. that. So it wasn't the same kind of horror right, uh, sure. to it, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Cause I,
3: it, it's funny when you first said it, you were like, yeah, I can remember dreams from like when I was five, I was going, Oh my God, I don't remember. I don't remember what I did yesterday. Like right. I don't remember I don't remember anything ever. Yeah. But then you, the you 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 mentioned the Christ thing and I went, "Oh my god, I I do remember a dream from when I was a child mm-hmm. and it was one of the like the scariest nightmares I've ever had and it, it's always stuck with me and there, I, and then it reminded me of a couple more. Yeah. Uh, but Christ Jesus Christ was actually a deep part of like two of them. And I so I was sitting here thinking can I recall any positive dreams I had as a child? But I don't think I can. I can only remember those nightmares. Yeah. You know, or 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 at least those dreams that really sort of shook me up.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think that these are the things that we're trying to work out as kids, and we do this when we're playing, when we're uh, when our guard is let down, and especially for me, when I became such an internalized guarded person, that was the only way that I could express myself was in my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sometimes you even, I still am a daydreamer, (laughs) so I might be just kind of drifting off somewhere in my mind at any given time. Uh, But that's (laughs) the way that some people figure things out. Is Mm -hmm.
0: there a a a correlation to, um, like an increased amount of dreaming, uh, for, for like somebody who is more introverted and Mm. likes to spend time with themselves, I guess.
1: You know, I I don't know. I think that everybody dreams, but I would say that, uh, anybody who pays attention to it will notice that they dream more, whether or not they actually do dream more. But um, the more you start to to listen to it, to journal it, like I keep a notepad by the side of my bed, partly because I can't get to sleep if there's ideas rattling around in my head and I just got to write them down so that right. way they'll let me sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's handy for uh, knowing that that's there uh, for when I wake up in the morning, I can just scribble a bit of a dream on cool. it and see what's What what's about what's lucid going on. dreaming? You ever get into that? I, I've tried it. Uh, and actually I have done it once and it was terrifying yeah. uh, where you feel like you're in control of the dream and that you're, you know, you can manipulate the dream. But, but really how much control
3: up. do you have? Well, this you is know? it,
1: right? Yeah.
2: Well, some people claim like some people claim that Total. they are right. They are basically like, hey, okay, I'm going to go into a dream now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they have complete,
3: which is. Which I think to get to that point, if that is a thing, <clears throat> if that is a, a real thing that people can do that, you know, I, I've never done it so. I when I hear, not that I'm skeptical skeptical of it but I I when I hear it I go that sounds Yeah, that yeah. sounds pretty you know what though? like you know miraculous to be able to do that But like but But I feel like it would take a long time Dreams
0: are just something that are are created in your head in your brain you know um I guess unintentionally or without your your focus or unconsciously when you're sleeping but but if you're able to you know try to find a way to focus that and tap yeah, just into turn that. your then, dream into your it's imagination not, it's not right. that crazy because it's it's yeah. all of a sudden you're going from unconscious focus to like conscious focus right mm-hmm. and yeah. i i could just see that biomechanically or or biologically it would be possible
3: you know it, th- th- this and this is i didn't even think we would go anywhere into that. <laughs> yeah, the lucid kind of dreaming. But, but yeah. it is kind of interesting, interesting to think yeah, about. It is. And I've never thought about it this way. Every time I've thought of lucid dreaming, I've, I've thought like, oh my God, the perfect way to experience life as a superhero or mm. the perfect yeah. way to be like, I'm going to fly. Something I never, I could never do in real life. I'm going to do it. Mm. But I've never thought of utilizing lucid dreaming as like a form of therapy for yourself to sure. work out mm-hmm. things that you're having a hard time with or, or, or. Um, you know, to like face your fears or uh, conquer your fears or things like that. Like that, that
1: there's gotta be people out there. Dream therapy. Like working on that. that that Dream
2: therapy is definitely. You know, I mean
1: that kind of discussion, I think it's been around for a while, but um, what's, Particularly interesting about it is when you're exploring your own dissociations, when you're able to notice when you're drifting off like that, even mm-hmm. if you're not sleeping and even if it's not a traditional dream kind of setting, to be able to n- notice what's going on in your mind and just let it play out, that mindfulness mm-hmm. kind of tradition. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that's something that I, I try to practice now, too, is that, okay, this is... Yeah, you know, I tell people sometimes I've gotten very good at being depressed and anxious <laughs> that, right. and that it's right. a skill that you learn over time because you yeah. eventually you realize, OK, this is something going on in my head and let's mm-hmm. just let it play out and see. what Yeah, that
2: like separation from yourself, like you you can you're almost like a viewer of your own yeah. of your own experience, your own like mind fluctuations and yeah. um, which is. Which is which is like basically the definition of mindfulness, which is that separation, um, like looking at it objectively. I was trying to kind of form this this question or this idea and thought in my head over the past several minutes around like children and mental health, and like as a mental health advocate and with an, as a somebody who has gone through the experience of uh, mental health issues as a child, what is it about being a child that where you where it doesn't seem like there's the structure for for the for support in that realm where mm. you get the idea the where someone you go oh well the kid that kid's just that that ki, that kid just has a, he's quiet or, mm. or or she's this or that and and you don't start to wrap the idea of it being a mental health issue until like a certain age it's like it's almost not possible for yeah. a kid to be for a kid to be uh have a mental health issue until a certain point like why do you know is there any idea around why that is
1: you know do you have my, any thought my on that? yeah my personal theory of it um because i get a lot of parents who talk to me too uh, wanting to either help their kids or give them some insight into what might be going on and um unfortunately i actually think parents are in just about the worst position to recognize what's going on with their kids mm. because they don't want to see it. Right. They, mm. Who what parent would want to possibly imagine, hey, my kid might die by suicide. My yeah. kid might die at all. Yeah. Why, why would it so they in in terms of that blocking process, they block that out as a possibility. Yeah. No, well, your dad did that with yeah. CF. Yep.
3: yep, absolutely. Like my parents absolutely
1: did that with my
3: with my illness. Um, it reminds
0: me of that uh that Black Mirror episode where like they have that filter that you turn on so you can't see the traumatic things. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. my God. And like dude. everything just becomes blurred
2: very yeah very interesting that's a really interesting point about uh, parents wanting Ooh. to wanting to kind of block that out like you know i don't want there's something to be quote unquote wrong with my child sure. or um i don't want them to be whether that's whether that's from a point of like i don't i don't want to have a damaged kid mm-hmm. or or they don't want to they don't want to go through the hurt of of having a child that that has problems and that like, because that could be traumatic for the parent as well to know that their child that is going through an issue that they might not understand or be able to really uh, relate to. And sometimes it goes, it
1: goes the other way too, though, where parents, especially now uh, are so insistent that their child is ill, that they're sick, that there's something wrong with their brain, Mm. that they're broken. Um, And I think that comes from a place of, first of all, doing mental health awareness poorly. Now we have a lot of conversation about mental health now, but it's not always productive conversation. Mm, yeah. Um, so I, I think that, that that's part of it. But then also, if there's something wrong with your kid's brain, it means it's not your fault as a parent. But, Nobody's saying it's your fault as a parent in the first place, yeah. but mm, every yeah. parent, I think, has that reticence that, no, if, if right. I expose them to this and cause this, then it's my fault. Mm, so that I think they, they want to um, shield themselves from that.
3: Yeah. Mm. So when you, you started to, you know, have that sort of shift where you you didn't receive the support you, you probably needed or that you definitely needed and you started to turn inwards, when did it start to become like a real issue, mm-hmm. um, for your own, for your own health?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was in the, um, or at least when it explicitly became an issue, I was in this, uh, seventh grade. Um, and I started, it just kind of came out spontaneously. I was, um, anytime a, a stressful event would come up, usually after a fight with my stepfather, or if there's something academic <laughs> happening, uh, a test that I wasn't you know, prepared for or something like that. Um, I would, I would, uh, the stress would go up and then the, um, pattern would enact itself. The, the, the coping mechanism that I had learned, uh, which for me became becoming suicidal because I didn't learn any other coping mechanism. Nobody Mm -hmm. taught it to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that started to happen in the seventh grade. I was, uh, it was after a fight with my stepfather. I got to school late. Um, I completely blanked out on a test. I think it was something, the only thing I remember from that test uh, and it was something about matching water formations to the name or something. Like It was just a matching activity. And I remember fjord. I still don't know what a fjord is, but I remember that little picture and that word on there. Can you just tell the joke yeah. before he
3: goes further? Uh-oh. It's yeah. my favorite you joke, have a fjord joke of all time. <laughs> and Brian, I think
1: you
0: created I it. I did, yeah. I and this up. is
3: your opportunity to say it to thousands of people. And okay. I, just, I honestly,
0: it's the best joke I've ever heard. Why didn't the Viking... Live on the water, why? Because he couldn't have it. I fucking <laughs> love that joke. I hate that joke. I love
1: that <laughs> joke. I hate that that's, joke. That's a skillful joke. I yeah. like that.
3: It's so, couldn't all, it. no fat in it whatsoever. No, you know, it's Let's perfect. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So, no, not at <laughs> all. So, I recognize the fjord. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but I, I, I completely blanked on everything else. And, uh, when you're a, a bit of an intern or when you've become a very internal kid and I had self-identified as smart, uh, but then when you start to struggle, you can't focus on anything else. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that happened with kids is that they're Grades go down, uh, just like you know. If somebody's in a workplace, they usually—that's the first place you start seeing they're struggling.
2: Uh, Is that there, sort of too. like a spiral as well? Like
1: you start to you start to struggle academically, and then that you're like,
2: oh shit, I'm I'm not doing what i totally. what I what I tell myself I'm good at.
1: Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, exactly. And also schools, especially workplaces, just about everywhere—they're so uh, click based that as soon as Mm -hmm. you start failing tests, then you become one of the dumb kids and then you got to hang out with the dumb kids and then Mm -hmm. you get treated differently and everybody, you get labeled. Right. So, so that whole nest of things happened for me too. But, um, so for me, I, I kind of enacted my, um, maladaptive coping and I started to doodle little pictures on the, in the margins of the test. And I drew 10 different ways that I could die. And that was the first time I had ever, taken something, the, these dark thoughts that have probably been in my head for a long time and actually got them out Whoa. in some way, right?
0: So did you hand that test in?
1: I did, yeah. And and that's what um, my teacher didn't really, I think, know how to deal with it, but... Uh, she asked me what they were, and I told her. Uh, she referred me to the guidance counselor uh, to to uh, talk some more about it, and um, that and eventually led to, led to my uh, first hospitalization. He recommended that I go to hospital. Oh wow! Oh,
2: so yeah. so that was so. This didn't really have anything to do with you attempting suicide at that that time. It Not was at basically all. like they recognized they recognized something in you from that, and through the conversations with your guidance counselor, they recommended hospitalization what does that look yeah. like hospitalization when you are in that in that form like what are they recommending you go and and be hospitalized yeah. for, and what do they do for you?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that I noticed that a number of the times that I went to the hospital, it was because the guidance counselor that I went to see recommended and such. Um, mm-hmm. And usually, there's a professional obligation if somebody thinks that you're at risk of suicide, then they have to um, get you hospitalized or, or recommend or, or bring it's you there. Kind of like a
0: cover your ass, exactly. Yeah. yeah, because
1: what and even if even if there was no um, uh, legal reason to or, or procedural reason to, nobody really wants that on their head. Right. Room, absolutely. right? Yeah, happened, yeah. right? Um, and I'm a fan of that, too. It's better safe than sorry. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I agree. Um, so so I was brought to hospital that time. I wasn't admitted that time, though. Um, I w- we stayed in the emergency room for my mother and I for hours. I think it was like 14 hours. All told it ended up being. Whoa. Um, yeah, it was a long time. And I, re- uh, when I pulled the records, I looked at the little section that said mental health history and it said no prior mental health history. Uh, and that was the last time that my hospital records ever said that. It was in uh, April uh, 2000, I think it was, or 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I put a picture of it up on my Instagram. Uh, but then at the la- by the last hospitalization, there were actually places in the notes where the admitting nurse just wrote, same old stuff, same old concerns. I had become a frequent flyer, really? a, re- wow. a revolving door patient. Stuff. Yeah. So, but because by that time it had been more than a half a dozen times that I'd been in hospital. So to put those two things together—that no prior mental health history versus same old stuff—you mm. know—it it really for me reflected how um, people got sick of me. They got mm. sick of my struggle uh, mm. and gave up on me.
0: So is is that like was that part of the system? I guess that was there to support you going through like was was the intention of like the hospital in that case to be that like you know supporting step if you Mm -hmm. if things went too far is that where you were supposed to be going or like could there have been better programs or are there better programs now that would prevent you from constantly having to go back to the hospital
1: yeah you know i think that it was pretty much the only option i think And, and that's still the case in most places um Unfortunately, it's not the best option. It, the only reason, the only function that hospitalization serves in the mental health community, uh, you know, in, unless you're dealing with severe and persistent schizophrenia, for example, or by certain forms of bipolar disorder, uh, but for people with depression, anxiety, even suicidality, it keeps you safe. That's the only function. do don't suicidality?
2: Get I mean, I can, I can. You know, I can infer what that is. Yeah, yeah.
1: so any uh, thought, feeling or action about suicide. So you might be attempting, you might be trying things, but you might even just be talking about it more than usual. or um, Asking questions or a surprising Mm. number of people. I found out after doing the TED talk, Google how to kill themselves. Uh, And I know that now because uh, no fewer than 30 of them have reached out to me uh sent me a message through my Facebook page or through Twitter said I was googling how to kill myself when I found your TED talk holy <laughs> and that's I wanted so to reach out right Whoa. so actually that's when that started to happen and because so many people have seen it um I didn't know what the hell to do with that. Yeah, it's like how do I'm. Why are they coming to me? Yeah. I Actually, still struggle. I, I'm really curious to know
0: what you would do in that case because I think there's probably a lot of people who are listening to this conversation right now who will either at some point in their life or in their past have had somebody, you know, that they've known to be suicidal in their life. So, if somebody is reaching out to you directly mm-hmm. to to tell you that, what do you
1: say mm-hmm. in that moment? You know, it, it's it's every single time uh, a tough one, but usually what I have to tell people is that I'm absolutely willing to listen. I, I can talk to you, but what I can't do is be your therapist just because it's not, it's not ethical. Um, I don't know you, I don't know, it's not safe. Mm -hmm. Um, plus I can't guarantee that I can answer within 10 minutes every single time, you know, so it's -hmm. just not a a safe way to do it. That said, you know, I always encourage them to reach out to me and and Mm -hmm. to tell me whatever they can. And if they want my help in finding help in their area and, and we're talking people all over the world, but it, most people don't realize that you can actually search for what's available in your community. Mm-hmm. There's not often a lot sometimes, but, you know, you, you can still uh, get resourceful and, and find what's there. But uh, I can help people with that. Um, There have been a a small number of circumstances where I was concerned enough uh, about the person that I had to uh, do my own research, find out where they lived, uh, and call the the, um, emergency services in their area. Mm -hmm. Uh, Three that I'm thinking of uh, immediately where they actually did have to go and and pick the person up because they're at risk. So, you know, that that kind of thing happens too. And um, they never – I don't think anybody ever likes when that kind of thing happens. I know I sure didn't. Um, But I'd rather have somebody mad at me and alive uh, than dead. Yeah,
3: How many out of the seven attempts, um, how many of those were were situations where you were literally plucked out from from that situation, like in the TED talk where you Mm -hmm. talk about, you know, your heels on the concrete, but your toes hovering over the air, standing on a bridge looking Mm -hmm. down 50 feet below you and Mm -hmm. having someone. Literally wrap their arms around your chest and drag your rag doll body over the railing, yeah. how many times did that happen in your attempts where where it was it was really up to somebody else yeah. to save your life,
1: yeah, yeah, there were a few other times I mean the uh, w- the other story that I tell on that TED talk uh, about the knife that I brought or that I got at school. Uh, and went to see my guidance counselor. He tackled me and wrestled the knife out of my hand. Um, so I was ready. So to that was at school. Too. That was at school. Did yeah. you bring the knife with you, or like where <laughs> no, did you get the no, knife? No, I got it from uh, because I had taken a cooking class there the semester before. Uh, so there was this kind of teaching kitchen, uh, and I went and, and asked for it. <laughs> the there. set. Yeah. So we're sorry, we're in this <laughs> fucking little basement
3: apartment, and the furnace just kicked in. <laughs> Anyway, if anyone's wondering why it sounds like Darth Vader is just looming over us while Mark tells us about his suicide attempt. um, It's the furnace. Mm -hmm.
0: So you got got the the knife from the cooking room and then basically you were going to You know, cut your wrists or cut your. Uh,
1: I held it to my throat and I was uh, pushing the blade into my throat as uh, the guidance counselor grabbed it from me and and wrestled it from me. So, you know, there was that time. There was another attempt where my mother uh, found and saved me. Uh, You never forget uh, the look on somebody's face like you do when you see your mother's eyes when you're about to kill yourself. Um, And what were you attempting to do? Uh, How did she find you? I was in the process of hanging myself. Uh, I had a a cord around my neck um, ready to jump. Um, you know it's um, one of the, the common the common theme though that I notice from attempt to attempt is that they start out very much just thoughts ideas you know it, it turns out you're not born known, knowing how to die uh, knowing how to kill yourself especially it's something right. that you figure out over time uh, and the research shows that that the more attempts you have the more likely you are to complete that was definitely the case for me each attempt became more explicit more physical um, more violent in many ways um, mm you know, and, and no question for me that some of them were clearly cries for help. When I yeah. got that knife from that kitchen, I walked around the four floors of my school for probably in half an hour, uh, with this knife in my, this eight inch long chef's knife in my, in my book bag. Um, so I was probably waiting for somebody to stop me, yeah. question me, ask me what I was doing, not in class, something, anything.
2: Yeah. That's what popped you know? into my head when you said at school, I was just like, wow, what a, it's so, it's so public. It, yeah. it doesn't get more public. Yeah. Um, Something that, uh, that like what this is not a topic that we have that we that we haven't talked about before. Like, we've kind of gone into like we we've tackled several uh mental illnesses uh in, in conversation on the podcast, and the the topic of suicide is always is always really fascinating from the perspective of the the process of of what you know what goes through your mind when when like you said it starts as, out as an idea like what is take us through the 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 thought process of going from the idea to starting to fulfill the mm-hmm. action and you know what type of role you, like depression and how that kind of that that sort of like monster in your head is 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 prodding you in this direction yeah. like how is it how
1: is it how is it pushing you there i had this uh Dream when I was uh, probably about ten. Back to the dreams, um, and, and this this weird thing—it still happens to me today. Where I'll revisit dreams, uh, but it's not a recurring dream. It's something that, uh, like, everybody in the dream is welcoming me back because I was there before. It's mm-hmm. kind of continued dreams, okay. uh, and sometimes they happen years in between each other. It's like, oh, where have you been for the last three years? It's like whoa, that, whoa, that whoa, kind man. of yeah. It's weird, I know. Um, <laughs> but this started happening around this age, um, and I uh, I used to go. Uh, both awake and in the dream, into the woods that surrounded my house at the end of the dirt road. Mm -hmm. And I found a stream that ran through there, and I used to go there to be alone just in the middle of the woods. And in the dream, every time I went back, the pathway was a little bit easier. It was a little clearer every time. The first time I had to climb through the trees and the brush, and and it was really difficult to get there. But by the end, there was a clear, wide-open pathway, and I could just go right there. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That's how I see... Uh, these suicide attempts too, that at first you really don't know what, or at least I can only speak to my own experience, you don't really know what you're doing. You, you're having these thoughts and and you're um, exploring some options and, and figuring it out as you go, but then as it distills, as it collapses down and becomes specific, uh, it's like a big bang. It starts out everywhere and then it just zooms in on the one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that by the time I made it to my last attempt on the edge of the bridge, it's like my whole world had collapsed in on that one moment. That's where I was in my head, that there were so many opportunities to intervene up until that point. But when I was there, that was the only thing that I could think of. Mm-hmm. It, it was like, it was complete dissociation, complete fixation on that one thing Ooh. where uh, every other reality filtered through that. So sometimes you hear people say um, things like, why, why weren't you thinking about your parents? Or why weren't you thinking about people who, who loved you? Uh, and that's usually where the selfish thing comes in. People say that people who die by suicide are selfish. For me, I was thinking about them mm-hmm. and I thought I was doing them a favor yeah. by killing myself. Right. Because then they wouldn't have to deal with me anymore. So mm-hmm. everything gets filtered through that lens and and you just can't get out of that place. So um yeah it it's a
3: That's the thing that makes it a mental illness.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It,
3: you're not seeing the world through a lens that is clear. It's yeah. everything is muddled. Everything do, isn't you're not seeing the reality of things right. you know it's you're not seeing the world the way that that I, I don't want to ever I, I hate using the word should but it's like what well, it comes to mind Which it should
1: be you, yeah. it, you should you should but well this is like the the um, monster uh, depression monster thing that you were mentioning too that you don't actually realize that that's happening and that's yeah. the crapshoot of it it's like it's this virus that attaches to everything you already are so it tricks you it lies to you and tells you this is the way it's supposed to be and yeah. it's not supposed to be this mm. way and
2: what what I was kind of thinking there as as you were mentioning that and then you and then you kind of just touched on it there is that you can't what, it, what, it, how do you see mindfulness playing a role in, uh, in people, you know, proactively, uh, proactively and reactively, uh, approaching their mental health? Like, like, because every time I, every time we've talked to somebody who has, uh, particularly with depression, who has attempted suicide at some point, my mind goes to, okay, well, is there any, is there any way that you can train yourself that when you, when that, thought happens, that thought of like, Oh, maybe I want to die. Mm -hmm. Can you, is there any ability?
3: Like it's a meditation bell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. To go
2: ding, to separate yourself and to objectively go, Whoa, I'm having that thought. And that triggers you to go, Oh, I know this is, this is the depression. This isn't me. This is the, this is this other thing that's starting to tell me to do things. And I know I shouldn't listen. But like you're saying, it's, that's probably the million dollar question is how do you make that work?
1: Well, this is it. And, and I think that is the definition of, of good recovery and in, in mental health is being able to do that. And especially if you're suicidal, being able to recognize it and then implementing whatever skills you need to do to get through it. And then eventually, if you do that enough, it goes away. That pathway grows back in again and new pathways form. Um, but that that there's some danger there too and i think in the middle area sometimes people practice mindfulness and they're not fully prepared for what it can do to you Ooh, <laughs> that watching yeah. those thoughts can be scary it can be hard and yeah. you have to be able to pull yourself back out again if you need to and and that's the that's why it's a practice that's mm-hmm. not why it's not just a, a single intervention and unfortunately the uh, formal mental health system isn't built to support something like that to walk with people for sometimes the years that it takes to learn that kind of skill. Yeah. The other risk there too, and I've experienced this myself, um, is that you start to become mistrustful of all your thoughts, uh, not just the problematic ones. Right. And then, uh, you know, uh, as I'm sure everybody I've ever dated would tell me, then it interferes with intimacy. It interferes with, you know, ability to, to uh, trust others. Uh, you can't selectively numb parts of yourself. It could be
2: mad. That would be mad. It sounds maddening to -hmm. start that, that distrust of your own thoughts. Uh, you know, we we were, we were talking to somebody yesterday about uh, anorexia and you know the relationship between going. Oh, well, I I, I want to. Uh, I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I don't like what I look like. I look too skinny, so I should eat. And then they go to eat, and they go. Oh, but if I eat this, I'm going to gain weight. Yeah. And then they go back, back to the and mirror, forth. and it's just yeah, back forth. and forth. And it's just like, it was just it just sounded like madness. And how how that would drive you to like to the edge. Um, and that mistrust of your thoughts, it's a -hmm. fascinating, just a fascinating thing to think about. I'm
0: interested to know, uh, uh, what being in relationships has been like for you, because I can only imagine that this has been a huge, uh, challenge to, you know, build a relationship with someone intimately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, as I was writing the book and I, I didn't fully realize this between grades, uh, 7 and 9 I dated uh at last count 13 different women uh or girls I guess that they were at the time <laughs> um and they were not they were it was um rocky uh, because I was trying to reach out to somebody anybody mm-hmm. figure myself out part of that's normal teen stuff mm-hmm. sure yeah. but part of it was that I was struggling um fortunately, and I think one of the things, one of the major uh, things that really helped me turn around uh, was when I met the person in high school who I ended up spending the rest of my life with, at least to date. Um, my, I dated my now wife uh, for years. We went off to college together. Um, I was the one who took so long to finally get married <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't, I was afraid of getting divorced. I didn't want yeah. to get married because I, did, mm. I was afraid to get divorced. Mm. Uh, but now that I have, having that stable Uh, consistent uh, presence in my life was something that I hadn't ever had before. Uh, And that comes with all kinds of challenges too, especially any long-term relationship I think needs to evolve over time. Uh, But especially when – you know, you're you're so accustomed to being the one who feels at fault for things mm-hmm. uh, that you don't know how to talk about things. Sometimes you mm-hmm. don't know how to communicate so well. Uh, so it's a growth experience. As well.
0: And what's that like in particular? As because you said you you mentioned you've been with her since high school. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I imagine that any high school age kid would would have trouble, you know, being a support system or understanding. Yeah, a mental health crisis that's going on with their partner. So, uh, what was that whole like education point like in in Mm. that
1: regard? I think organic, you figure it out as you go. Mm. I wish there was some master plan that I could reveal to everybody that, you know, (laughs) but it's true. You just, um, part of it, I guess it comes back to the mindfulness thing is just, being able to let it ride out and watch it, even if not dispassionately. But um, I, I've really come to identify with the idea that this too shall pass, that Ooh. you can ride the waves. And, and eventually you don't realize how far you've come until you actually look back. Yeah. It's like, yeah. holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I didn't realize oh, yeah. so much time had passed. And that, that's kind of where I've been lately too. It's looking back over my life, over my relationship, um, and thinking, geez, I never would have thought that this would be my life Fifteen years ago. Yeah. Speaking of time, how old are you now? I'm 30 now.
3: And when was the last time that you you had a suicide attempt?
1: Uh, well, actually, so unfortunately, about a year ago. Oh, wow. uh, Yeah, and you know, it it was um, by no means uh, what I used to deal with. Uh, However, I've been very open about the fact that. I didn't miraculously recover after that last attempt and it was hallelujah and mm-hmm. every everything was great. It was still a slog after that and there's yeah. lots of relapses. I usually relapse once or twice a year. Um, but that's what, it, when I said I, I've, I've gotten very good at being depressed, that's part of it, is recognizing what your cycles are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I experienced much of the trauma in my life in the springtime, so it seems like each spring uh, is when I, uh, I tend to have my, my relapses. Um, mm-hmm. And also when... I'm I'm the type of person who pushes myself. I push myself hard uh, to be able to develop further, uh, and I don't always yet know uh, when to stop, yeah. when to take a break. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I experienced then, and and it was a it was a fascinating experience though because uh, I hadn't been in hospital for. Fifty or 14 years, something like that prior to that. So I was kind of looking forward to, Hey, you know, we've been talking so much about mental health for the last 10 years, five years, especially with bell, let's talk and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. Um, I bet it's gotten so much better. Let's put it to the test. Yeah. <laughs> put it no. to the test. So it, it failed the test. Yeah. Um, no. I was admitted to uh, uh, involuntarily. I told them I was willing to go in voluntarily for some reason. The psychiatrist <laughs> wanted to admit me uh, involuntarily anyway. What's the di- what? what but, it means you can't leave. It means your right, oh, your rights okay. are taken away, and they okay. can treat you however oh, they want. Oh, essentially, okay. oh, uh, they can restrain you. They can medicate you. They can they take away your rights. Whoa! Um, yeah, <laughs> which that's scary. it is. Scary. is. Yeah. It is, and you know it's um, an arcane part of the system that's even very though much you exists.
3: you voluntarily. Said yep. I'm willing to go in, but they went okay. But we got you
1: well. And here's the kicker of it: the form that they have to sign in Ontario, it's called Form One. There's a Mental Health Act in most provinces that govern this as well. Form One, um,
3: yeah.
1: That's also, that's <laughs> yeah. also, but it's ominous. Right? right. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. One,
3: um, <laughs> the first, the, the only, first <laughs> the ever <laughs> Form One. Yeah.
1: Um, but form uh, form. part yeah. of that form is is supposed to be that you're not willing to receive treatment. I was. Yeah. So you know, this is mm. something that people don't. Realize it, and you hear it from the um, anti-psychiatry movement, which isn't as loud as it used to be anymore. But uh, that that uh, part of the formal mental health system is about controlling people. Um, that it's about taking away people's rights in that way, and just putting them in hospital to, to warehouse them, to put them away. Mm. And that's yeah. essentially what I experienced. I was I was involuntarily admitted. I was put onto a locked ward within a locked ward and I was put in a locked room. So so this is because
3: you attempted suicide?
1: No, because I asked for help. Oh,
3: for doing so, okay, <laughs> so oh, I
1: was uh oh, considering suicide i had I recognized uh you know all of the same old thoughts, and I thought, right. okay, this is getting a little too far, and I don't seem to be able to bring it back in again. I started to notice I was developing uh plans, I was starting to collect the implements that I would need to do it and and that's and then I was finally able to kind of break out of that cycle again and say, this isn't right this this you know I talk about this stuff to people all the time. I should know better that's another thing that happens later. Uh, I I shouldn't deal with this anymore because I talk about it. Yeah. It it doesn't happen. That's what
2: kind of really popped up when you said that is really important to talk. I think really important to acknowledge that, you know, as an advocate, as somebody who is out there on behalf of mental health is going, yo, I still. Yeah. Just because I talk about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not like the shining example that you're trying to reach to because I'm also going through that like. Oh, I'm I'm not perfect at, at this. Like no. I'm struggling too. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, you know, so so when I identified that that I was at a very high risk uh, again, um, I brought myself in to ask for help, and and that's what happened. So it was almost, and that's exactly what happened 15 years prior. That every time I asked for help, uh, it it was ne- met with a negative response of some mm-hmm. kind. Right. Is it right. is it because,
3: and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but is it because you know you've you've got the the like. Same old Mark red flag on your file. So they go, oh, he's in again.
1: He's back. Yeah. Definitely with the history that he has take away his rights. Yeah. You know, that 100% happened uh, when I was in Nova Scotia and I was in Cape Breton and because I got to, you see the same nurses every time you go yeah, in. Yeah. Like they, they just recognize you by, <laughs> yeah. by your face. Uh, but here, they didn't have any of my records. So that was an interesting test because mm. it's, oh, so objectively, this is actually still how the system is. Yeah. In right. In wow. places, right. And what okay. are they, what are they doing? Like when you go, when you get admitted, are they just medicating you to basically, you know, That's numb it. the depression? That's it. Uh, it's not an active, at least I, and again, I should only, speak from my personal experience, because for others, it might, it might be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am grateful that they kept me safe. I should say that too. I was yeah, admitted right. for 72 hours and, I, mm-hmm. and I'm still alive. So uh, so something worked. Uh, but they admit, admitted me to a, a locked ward, uh, checked my medication in 15 minute appointments once a day. That was it. We didn't do any therapy. We didn't do any meaningful kind of work. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't let me right. off the unit. So <laughs> that to me
3: sounds... Absurd. Yeah. Is it just a waited out thing? Like, mm, oh, yeah. he'll, he'll, he's just going through a little cycle. He'll pass.
2: It sounds very, it sounds very, uh, very like, <clears throat> you know, Stereotypical movie psych ward yes yeah. mm-hmm. like the yeah I mean lo- the they, they might as well put you in
3: a straight the, at, the, yeah. at the at the window basically yeah. I mean yeah. yeah did they not uh, so uh, they, they must didn't... have missed out on that one
1: well the, yeah really they they didn't restrain me but here's the <laughs> here's the scary thing that time uh, they had the restraints already ready on each of the beds in case they needed to so oh, they didn't wow. keep the restraints somewhere else seclusion and restraint according to the World Health Organization is not a good thing no. that it mm. traumatizes people it's, it's like Guantanamo yeah. yeah. Bay well exactly so they had the restraints already fixed to all the beds in case they needed it and the guy in the next room uh, was restrained uh, routinely they came in and they they tied his his ankles and his wrists uh, and they said just let him out for five minutes once an hour would the restraints not be
2: could could they not be turned into a, a tool sure they to could. try and kill yourself
1: yeah they're ligature points they're, they they can yeah they can also oh, that the, sounds wrong the other
0: thing is is like <laughs> yeah, dude, like if you're if you're already freaking wrong. out And, and your thoughts in your head are like, are driving you to the point where you're, you're like feeling like you're going crazy. Um, I don't think tying you up is going to, is going to help. I mean, like
3: tying you up and not giving you someone to talk to
1: Yeah, I mean, in the and very least, it.
3: tie yeah. them up and then bring someone in to be like, "Hey, let's chat." While you're yeah. sitting here, you're not yeah. going anywhere. But yeah. this
1: is it. Most people, before they ever get to that point, can be de-escalated. Uh They can, you can mm. talk it through. You mm-hmm. can get through this kind of stuff mm-hmm. without that. But the system will always say, "Well, we don't have the resources to do that. We don't have this or that." Yeah. Well, then get the resources. Mental health yeah. is the most Ooh. underfunded, one of the most underfunded parts of the healthcare system. Right. Fund it. Which uh, is
2: crazy because it seems like, like, man like throw a throw a rock in any direction you're going to hit 10 people that have a mental health issue and yeah. it's it's you know I, I i don't you know we talk about mental health like um you know something that we've kind of gone back to over and over again over the course of the podcast is <laughs> that we are we're proactive about our our physical health in a lot of ways we whatever you go to the gym you run yoga whatever it is we don't have we don't have as much it feels like it's getting better especially with the with the progressive <clears throat> nature of conversation on uh, on mental health, but that we're not as we're not we don't have that same proactive approach to mental health, right. uh, or at least it's it's it hasn't been like that. And it mm-hmm. seems like it might be going in the right direction, but it's just an interesting thing. Well, that we I don't think, do it that way. Yeah,
1: I think the awareness is. Generally going in the right direction. But I I see problems with mental health awareness now, too. Um, It's become, uh, at least in in my estimation, a very biological form of awareness. It's that, no, you just need to take your pills. You need to get everybody needs to have access to a psychiatrist. What the hell is that going to do? Not like a psychiatrist is going to pr- probably prescribe you antidepressants and probably prescribe you one of the top three antidepressants in Canada because that's what the drug reps push the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are mm-hmm. politics involved in this. There's, there's, yeah, they're they're probably not going to give you therapy because therapy isn't publicly funded anywhere in Canada mm-hmm. yet. Yeah, right. Even though it works as good as sometimes even better than antidepressants, mm-hmm. we don't even fully understand antidepressants.
0: Which yet. is which is wild because when I went to I went to speak to a, uh, my doctor about. Uh, my mental health, yeah. and after having an, an extensive conversation with him, he was like, Uh, look, um, I think you're dealing with anxiety right now. Uh, I, I'm gonna refer you to a a, a therapist. Mm. And so I called the therapist, and they're like, Okay, great, we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you next week. It's gonna be $140 for an hour, but like. I can't afford to pay $140 yeah. for an hour of therapy yeah. so instead of going to that appointment I just cancel it or don't yeah. show up right yeah. and yeah. and like the thing is, is that you have access to you know mostly free or or like reduced uh, subsidized um pharmaceutical drugs or pills that you can yeah. take but like that's not Getting to the root of the problem no. and, and actually helping you to get better.
1: No, it's not. And and you know I I want to make clear too. I still take antidepressants. It took me a long time to find the right one yeah. at the right dose that works for me. They have a place. Uh, they have a place. Yeah. But it's, absolutely, it, yeah. it's to help get me over the hump so I can do the work that actually really helps yeah. me to recover. Yeah. That's not going to cure my depression. It's going to help me uh, so I can actually get out of bed in the morning and work on curing my depression. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's done in other ways. It's
3: a topic you, that's come up on Joe Rogan a few times in the last couple of weeks, and I've been. Finding it really interesting to listen to and, um, on, on like with the role of, on the role of like, yeah, of, of, um, med medication for mental health and how, how, because it's being prescribed and because it's being pushed so hard to the patient and it's like, this is the option, this is your option. Here's an, here's the option, the option. Yeah. Yeah. No one is taking the time to explore all of these other all of these other options that exist that really are at our fingertips that we can just do right now if we wanted to, Mm -hmm. you know, go out to Trinity Bellwoods park and take an hour to just be around dogs and nature and whatever, you know, like Mm -hmm. if you're in the smack dab middle of the goddamn city, you can go take a walk, go for a run like uh, use these meds you, in conjunction with. Yeah.
2: Do yes, exactly what, saying, what you like. Yeah,
1: and, and actually this is w- one of the things that concerns me uh about the new kind of mental health awareness too is that people discount that stuff. They say that that's not real yes. therapy. That's not real medicine. Sure it is. There's yeah. lots of evidence. There's scientific
3: to it works. evidence that Absolutely. it is. It's 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 not a it's not uh it's not woo woo. It's not you know, like crazy uh you know th- airy fairy yeah. bullshit it's it it's proven to work i mean yeah. why reflection. do people why do people get <clears throat> seasonally depressed why do mm-hmm. people why are people I, I mean and i don't even know the stats yeah but i'm pretty sure a lot of people are heavily affected by yeah. the winter Absolutely. versus Absolutely. the summer yeah. and it's because we don't spend as much time outdoors we don't get as much sunlight we're not you know, like that. Yeah, we're biological creatures. Yeah, there's like a very yeah. there's there's a reason. And the same way that those 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 choices those options <clears throat> uh, have a direct effect on your on the chemistry in your brain, it's it's the same thing that's going on when you take these medications, or at least what these medications are meant for is to have that similar effect on the chemistry of your brain, and hopefully it works when you. You know, find the drug that works for you. Right. <laughs> um, but then there's the whole fucking thing of having to go through that whole. You know, jumping the hoops to find the pills this that work for you, and that don't end up killing and, you. And
1: most doctors, to be very frank, don't know the difference between different um, antidepressants, different psychiatric drugs. They'll have they'll be pretty familiar with uh, what it's supposed to do, what mm-hmm. some of the research mm-hmm. is. Um, but generally speaking, everybody gets prescribed the same stuff. The chemical imbalance theory, which you know everybody um, ever since the nineties, really and earlier, uh, has been talking about that as the reason for depression. There was never any evidence to support that. Mm-hmm. Never any meaningful evidence. That was a big thing on Joe Rogan too, which I didn't know. Yeah, I, didn't I didn't know, know that, that either. No, but it was an easy, convenient way to explain, Hey, we just need more of these little serotonin things. For, in for your anyone brain, who's listening, right? who doesn't know, just mm-hmm. explain what that is and
3: why it's, it doesn't make sense for us to be looking at it that way.
1: Yeah. Well, the very simplistic description of it is that, um, your brain doesn't have enough serotonin, the happy chemical basically, or Dopamine or norepinephrine, or there's a number of others, but usually serotonin is the one you hear about. Yeah. So you take antidepressants, uh, which increases the level of serotonin in your brain and makes you happier. It, they, it's almost seen as just leveling out your uh, chemicals in yeah. your brain. Like you just, you're just, you're just serotonin deficient. Well we, I mean, well like, and, that's and the, that what they're putting that's, that's they're exactly saying. it, yeah, because it it you know makes sense in from a biological perspective when you try to make mental health too <clears throat> physical healthy, yeah. I guess if that's a thing, like we're always talking about equity, we want equity between mental health and physical health, mm-hmm. uh, but they're not the exact same thing. Depression is not cancer that's one. that's a pet peeve of mine when people say depression is just like cancer biologically. No, it's not. Yes. It deserves the same respect. It deserves the same treatment. It, it affects far more people. Mm-hmm. Mental health affects more people than all cancers combined. Mm. Uh, but they're not the same thing. Why would you try to treat them the same? Nobody mm, says right. that about yeah. any two mm. physical illnesses, yeah. right? Mm. So, so I, I think then the problem with the the chemical imbalance thing is that um, there was never a lot of research to actually say that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, there isn't conclusive evidence to know why antidepressants work, but they do work. They mm. do work for many people, um, and for many people, they're life saving. Uh, but for many people, they're not. Uh, for for a lot of people.
3: Sick Boy Podcast. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Think of
0: your favorite one-hit wonder.
1: Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it?
0: I think about the way the world that we live in today as well Mm -hmm. and the amount of information that you're you're forced to digest on a daily basis. Like we're getting information faster and faster and faster. It's Mm -hmm. in the palm of our hands. We get it from the minute we wake up in the morning until, you know, the minute before we close our eyes at night. And I think back to uh our like ancient ancestors and, and like, I don't know, cave people, if you will. And and the simplistic lifestyles that they lived and the amount of information they needed to know on a uh, day-to-day basis to, to survive. Mm -hmm. And then the, 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 the idea that we're still biologically Mm -hmm. the same as that, you know, cave person yet we're forced to try to handle these loads that like, Right. Well, dude,
2: when we were at the when we were at the when we had breakfast this morning, we were looking at the TV and they had the CP twenty four channel in Toronto here, and there was so there was the newscast in the top left corner. Right. Yeah. Then underneath there was like the ticker with all the news. Yeah. Then under that, across the whole screen, there was. The stock exchange, and then in the top right yeah, there the was weather. weather, and then just underneath that there was like a fixed traffic camera, yeah. and it uh, showing like the four hundred one. And perfect, I was like, "Man, it's... how are you like, <laughs> like There is so much information there.
3: How like it's a, like, a perfect representation of idiocracy. Yeah, you know, like, it's, it's crazy. Just a little less goofy.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, you know, I was
1: like, just to that point, like how how wild it yeah, is that you're you're, our, you're meant to digest all that. Yeah, our brains haven't yet evolved, and probably won't, because by the time evolution Took place to let us adapt to that, it's going to be something else. It's going to be different. Mm -hmm. And that's why that's part of what underpins my whole idea that, um, you know, to go back to the chemical thing, sure, that's part of it. But I think that depression and anxiety disorders, which is what I've dealt with, are primarily learned. And and it's learned over a a long period of time. It's how we learn to cope. Uh, And it turns out that. When you learn, it changes your brain. So by saying it's learning doesn't mean it's not physical. Uh, ne- we've known about neuroplasticity for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, but the more you expose your brain to that uh, kind of stimulus, it's going to change your brain over yeah. time too. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the key to recovery is how do we unlearn it? How do we yeah. unchange or, or change the brain in a more positive mm. uh, way? Which
2: I guess is where mindfulness can be a really Absolutely. amazing tool. Yeah. Something that um, I wanted to ask was uh, was in the direction of I mean, obviously. Uh, well, maybe not obviously, but mental health is, or mental, not mental health, mental uh, illness doesn't discriminate, you know, uh, man, woman, child, mm-hmm. old, whatever. Um, But in the, in the, in the male space, and I know like, you know, companies or um, organizations like Movember or, uh, Movember is the one that really kind of jumps out at me, mm-hmm. but like, What's your, uh, how how do you feel like that conversation is going in terms of men talking and being more open and being more vulnerable about their? You know, mental health or physical health, but you know, since we're talking mental health.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's definitely been uh, more open. We know especially millennials and younger are yeah. more likely than any – both men and women are more likely than any previous generation to actually speak up and ask for help, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. And and But now what you're going to see that people are more willing to talk openly, especially men, is that they're going to find out that there's not a lot of formal help out there yeah. for them. Um, <laughs> I don't actually think that that's necessarily a bad thing because in order for the system to change, there has to be pressure on the system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a supply and demand. And the more people right?
3: that come out, the, yeah. more, the more it's going to, yeah, exactly, have yeah. to try and change or switch.
1: So, I mean, that, mm. that's going to be the real uh, key, I think. It's great to raise awareness. Everybody needs to be talking more about mental health. But unless companies and schools and societies, governments are willing to do something, then what's the point of all the talk? We actually have to act too. Yeah, yeah. right.
3: Uh we're we're coming up to time here. Um that was the fastest hour I yeah, think it really was. yet. Um and I'm I'm like not ready to end it at all. Um but before we before we do kind of tie it up, um one of the questions that we we ask almost all the guests that come on, uh, it's a two-parter. The first one is what would you say your your struggles with depression has has taken away from you?
1: Hmm, uh, hmm that's a really good question. Um, you can't unthink the, anything really, uh, including thoughts of suicide and depression, uh, the memory of those thoughts that, of that trauma, uh, still, I still carry it with me. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that that's taken away, um, some of my ability to, uh, lead a life untainted by that. Sometimes I'm envious of people who have never had to go through that, Mm -hmm. right? Because like, wouldn't, wouldn't that be so nice? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I still fall victim to that thought, thought I think.
3: Mm. What would you say e- your depression has given you?
1: I think that's probably just about, unfor- no, not unfortunately, um, challengingly uh, the greatest gift that I've ever gotten because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm now able to look at my life in ways that I never would have before. Great, it would have been nice if I could have uh, been a, a blissful, unknowing person who had never dealt with any of this, but then I wouldn't have known that I didn't deal with it, <laughs> so yeah. I wouldn't have been so grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm intensely grateful for the life that I have now because I came so close so many times to not having it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that I, I've been able to learn more about myself and about others. And yeah, it's hard. It's still hard. It's it's hard at least once or twice a year. Yeah. Um, but it teaches me more about myself uh, and my world every single time. So I'm grateful for that.
3: I was also curious. I recall you earlier saying that you 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 tend to... Notice that your cycle of sort of falling into that that hole mm-hmm. happens around springtime, mm-hmm. and we're recording this in March. It's the first couple of days of March where spring is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, do you sort of gear up for that? Like, do you do you have like a, a, a prep mm-hmm. plan for yeah. for the for the next coming months to? deal with that?
1: Yeah, I do. And, and I um, watch for the usual symptoms in myself, uh, you know, behaviorally in terms of how I'm acting. And one of my things is that I'm less patient. And in Toronto, it's easy to be impatient <laughs> with, uh, with all the stuff that seems yeah, to happen. Yeah, uh, as, and especially with all those screens on CPG. Oh right? <laughs> um, but but uh, that's one of my things. And irritability, it's very common in men too, that uh, when I start, you know, snapping at my partner more or getting just not, my tolerance is lower. That makes me usually, in retrospect, need to go back and say, "Okay, what's maybe there's something happening here? Maybe mm. I need to start enacting some of my coping." Um, This spring is a little bit different, uh, and I'm not entirely sure yet how it's going to work out because I just got out of this super deep self exploration right. uh, for the book, uh, and I've never done anything quite that like that before. Yeah. So you were a month silent a month silent writing, um, exploring all my medical records, all my history, delving into my memory. Uh, I've essentially relived in a month, my entire, uh, teenage period. Yeah. Um, so fascinating. well, yeah. And, and, the, the most amazing thing about that was being able to own that story, that that's my story to tell and I'm going to tell it. Nobody's going to tell me what my story is. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm interested to see if, uh, that works out for the better or, or for worse, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know. Well, I know you've done lots of work to,
3: um, you know, advocate for, for mental, more awareness for mental, um, health and, and mental illness. Uh, and you've had quite an effect on many people. Um, I'm sure, um, if, if someone wants to find out what you're up to or, or, uh, what
1: you're doing, where can they find your, your stuff? Uh, Twitter is usually where I spend most of my time or most of my social media time anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, At Mark Hennick, M-A-R-K-H-E-N-I-C-K. My Facebook page uh, as well. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, there's a few videos and, and contact information up on YouTube. Uh, and my website as well, com.
3: And plans for the book. I know you just wrote, yeah. wrote it. Yeah. Is it, is there anything, uh, do you have any dates or anything
1: that you yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, so my publisher actually, I just heard from him today and he said it's way too long. So he's got to, okay. he's got to edit a bunch of stuff. Uh, which like, was, yeah. So maybe it's two books. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but, uh, no, release is going to be in uh, early 2019. So probably January, February next awesome. year. Awesome. Sweet. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is a really fantastic
3: conversation. It was fun. Yeah. And uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, we'll be back next week with another fascinating episode. In the meantime, head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, review, do all three of those things. If you love us, if you don't love us, do them anyway, and in your review, just write a shitty review, and yeah. we'll read it, and we'll know. Uh, and if you want to support us, uh, there's many ways you can do that, but the big one... Go on over to patreon.com sickboy.
2: It's like our little crowdfunding, our like monthly crowdfunding campaign, and uh, you know, we're here talking with Mark and all the guests that we'll have on in the show uh, while we're here in Toronto, and that's possible because of the people who contribute on Patreon, and, the, and you guys are so amazing, and you've really been you know our 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 uh a rock. major pillar. Yeah, you've been our, our rock. You've been our stone since <laughs> the very beginning. So, uh you can do that at patreon.com/sickboy.
0: And as always, a uh, big shout out to Donovan the Meerkat Morgan for yeah. the amazing sound design. Uh, that was this, the best uh, one yet. Yes. Yeah. I, I like we, that one. Yeah, I, hope, I like it too. I hope I think uh, that should stick. I, I think some, that's it i like that too actually and i think it will meerkat stick Morgan. but uh donovan you need to find a good meerkat sound effects to to put in yeah, right now yeah i don't think it's round like that i think
2: meow. it's
3: more, a meerkat isn't yeah what's a like, meerkat like a all about? <laughs> <beep, beep>, <laughs> uh, i'm know. not sure i have no idea oh <laughs> well, we'll find out does well, we'll a
2: meerkat make?
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want to yeah, you can insert know. that sound here
0: donovan Thank you. <laughs> and uh, and if you want to uh, send us your Meerkat sound effects, you can do that by reaching yeah. out to us at info at sickboypodcast.com or check out the website, sickboypodcast.com. Lots of other cool information there. Uh, finally, thanks to Take Part for the theme music for the show. Uh, their website, where their their other songs are at, is takepartinthis.bandcamp.com.
3: That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy.